are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Scott Spray Custom Rods. Scott Spray has been crafting fine, hand-built fishing rods since 2010. He specializes in fly rods, but will custom build almost any rod to fit almost any need. Both Nick and I own custom rods built by Scott, and personally, I can tell you the two that I own are not only fantastic performers, but they look amazing as well. Now, Scott also offers different products on his new website, from the aforementioned custom-made fly rods to hand-cut wildlife license plates and even wall-hanging art. If you don't see what you want on his site, reach out to Scott, and he will be more than willing to work through the process with you. He is always willing to answer any questions you may have about ordering your custom rod, and even novice fly fishermen will find it easy to get exactly what they want in their custom-made fly rod. And once he begins production on your custom rod, Scott will even keep you updated with the full progress using photographs and email communications. So be sure to visit Scott today at www.ssprayrods.com or reach out to him at carpflyfisher at gmail.com. Now on to the show. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Traditional Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Steve Angel. And this week, I am running solo, but look for Nick to rejoin me most likely next week. Uh, This week, though, we're going to cover some new territory. And by new, I mean we're actually going to have a discussion about something that I've personally never done before. Uh, This week, we're welcoming welcoming back a, a former guest and friend of the show. He's been on here a couple of times, and we're actually going to be talking about a completely unrelated topic. But Mr. Isaac Justice is rejoining us, and we're going to dive into the topic of ice fishing. But before we go down that road, how's it going, Isaac? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, you know what? I can't complain. I wish uh, I wish deer season hadn't ended, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I always dread the end of deer season, but at the same time, usually about a day or two before it comes, I actually get to the point where I start really looking forward to getting out and and scouting which honestly i probably enjoy at least as much if not a little bit more than i do actually hunting yeah i man for me and i always start deer season hot and heavy and i sit a whole bunch and a whole bunch and a whole bunch i see the deer and i got a lot of trail cam photos and see a lot of what i want to shoot a lot of what i dream about a lot of things making me lose sleep typically have early season success and then from there on as the it gets colder and rut goes through and then ruts over and the gun hunters hit the woods. Then, you know, while you guys are still hunting, then I'm moving on to other things like what we're talking about today. I always, I'm always just, I got so many things up here in Minnesota that catch my attention. I'm never on one thing too much. It's funny. You're like, I'm going to get back to scouting and I'm over here like, geez, dude, I got trout fishing to do. <laughs> well, I'm, I'll be doing that, but now here's a funny story. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a trout stream in North Georgia, and I'll look out, you know, I'll look at a piece of woods either behind me or across the water, and next thing you know, I've I've leaned my I've leaned my fly rod up against something that I'm actually scouting, and I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll scout around for a little bit, and then I'll go back and hit the water. So <laughs> it, it's just one of those things that's always on my mind, no matter no matter what I'm doing. Yeah, it is for me too. It's just uh, you know, for me being at college in Wisconsin, I'm a lot of times scouting other people's land and looking in. Oh, yeah, it'd be kind of nice if I could put a stand there. Uh, lots of deer tracks here. Well, I'm right. sure the landowner shoots plenty. <laughs> 
so when is 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 when did the Wisconsin season close, or is it still open? Uh, honestly, I couldn't tell you about the Wisconsin. For me, I didn't buy a Wisconsin tag, even though I could have. I decided to just stick to Minnesota, stick to the land I know. I meant I meant Minnesota. Yeah. Well, it's all, all right. Those, it's confusing because all those, cause I'm all in those two states, states up there. All those states up here run together. Yeah, I mean they really do. They really do. The gun seasons are on different weekends for a, you know a few of them. Like Minnesota is pretty early compared to Iowa, Minnesota, or right. compared to Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois. Sorry, but yeah, you know it's pretty much all the same. For Minnesota, we ended on December thirty first. Last time I checked, I don't I don't ever hunt that late. So honestly, I'm pretty sure it's the thirty first, but I couldn't tell you. Wisconsin goes in a little ways into January. So do you do you hunt any after rifle season starts, or do you pretty much just hunt the bow season and and then move on to something else? Well, typically I hunt through all the shotgun seasons. Where I'm at in Minnesota, you don't you can't use a rifle; it's shotgun only. So right. I will hunt all through that. Typically, I'll hunt through the peak rut as things start settling down. Uh, I'm still hunting, and after Thanksgiving, I'm typically done because, especially this year with early ice for us, I was definitely done by Thanksgiving because I moved on to other hobbies. But typically, yeah, Thanksgiving's a good, you know, Thanksgiving break. I'll get my last few sits in. So, start of December, I'm typically out of the woods. And it's it, to be honest, and you were talking about you, you don't focus on any one one thing too much. That's that's kind of why I like getting you back on the show is, you know, diving into some of those other, other loves that you have, because I'll be honest, the only thing that's ever kept me from, from ice fishing is we don't get a lot of ice in Georgia. So, <laughs> um, I can guarantee, I guarantee you if I had the opportunity, I would probably do it and I would enjoy it. But, oh, um, you're going to have to come up it, here, buddy. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll consider it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's just, you know, there's, I, I like seeing, especially you know, young guys like you that are that are well rounded and just really enjoying the outdoors and not just getting you know tunnel vision like some of us older folks tend to tend to do. Well, the tunnel vision really sets in mid season of any of my hobbies, and then as things die off, then then it comes back and you you're looking onto something else. I mean, just a couple nights ago, I was losing sleep thinking about bow fishing. It was like. Why am I thinking about bow fishing? <laughs> it's like I got a while till I can do that. <laughs> you know, I've actually thinking about trying that again sometime this year myself. I haven't done it in a long time, quite a few years, but I am I am seriously considering getting back into that. But real quick, I did want to ask you um, how your how your deer season went. Oh yeah, I know you had some success. Yeah, I shot a doe early. Uh, it's t- pretty typical around my land. Uh, we have a lot of early season success. We're able to take a few does, and uh, one can debate how deer management goes. We just we like to take does early, and kind of set us set us up to at least have something in the freezer because you just never know the the right buck might not walk by. And for us, we have antler point restrictions, so. I had a lot of does and a lot of bucks later in the year in range that weren't legal that I couldn't shoot. I had a few mm-hmm. that were in range that I could have shot if I wanted, but I didn't. But yeah, my season wrapped up. Uh, I ended up having our biggest one that we had on trail camera uh, pretty much made my year. I was more excited after that sit than the sit that I had uh, harvested a doe in late September. 
ended up having him at 25 yards. I didn't shoot. I didn't feel comfortable. 25 is just a little bit out of my range. I just decided not to shoot. I just enjoyed watching him in front. He was tending to some does. There wasn't any breeding going on, but he was really defensive on the does, scaring off three other bucks, running them off, getting pretty dominant. All in front of me, 25, 50 yards away, he was in front of me for probably an hour. So wow. I mean, it was just crazy. And, you know, for me, uh, I'm, I'm 22. Uh, you know that. I'm pretty young. And it was enough to get my blood going, uh, probably enough to get anyone's blood going. Seeing a 160-plus inch whitetail getting aggressive like that, it's, you know, you, that's what people want to see. You know, the only thing I missed out on is that he wasn't dead and he's not at my wall. You know, so... Really, I, I look back on that. It was probably the best sit of my entire year. And I only sat like two other times after that. I was like, I can't beat this. And the deer weren't around as much late season as they were earlier into September and then October, November. So I packed it up after that. But I ended on a very high note, even though it wasn't a harvest. Sure. Well, hunty experience, brother. I mean, it, you know, I can tell you uh, I have... I've seen bucks displaying dominant behavior like that a few times, but it, at, at least for me, and maybe it's the areas that I'm hunt that I hunt because it's so thick. But generally, I can't tell you a single time I ever saw, you know, had a buck in front of me within fifty yards for more than probably a minute, and that's probably a lot longer than than it actually was. It was probably closer to thirty seconds. Um, we just don't. I don't see displays like that here because it's, you know it's so thick. They they take two steps and you're you know you've completely lost them. Yeah, so. it's rare here too. I mean that's part of what makes that entire experience so special. Was you know it was it was just seeing that nice of a buck for so long, one that I had tons of trail camera photos of for several years. We know he's a four and a half year old. You know we we do. A decent amount of deer quality management i'm the only one that shoots a trad bow that hunts the land so my mindset mm -hmm. you know has kind of adopted into what a lot of you know compound hunters and even rifle shotgun hunters tend to you know go towards is higher quality deer ones that are a lot bigger antlers and you know being in the midwest we we have opportunity to grow deer like that with the amount of nutrition and you know farmer food that's around so it, you know, it's, we have that opportunity and it's nice to be able to have that stuff pay off and have stuff like that, that close and being able to experience, it's always just great. That's really cool. And you don't get many experiences like that with, with those older bucks. The, the buck that I took this year was four and a half. And, um, I, he, I know he's the oldest buck that I've taken with a bow. Um, and really he's the He's the only buck I know that I have that was four and a half years old. I do have another one that I'm pretty sure was either four or four and a half, but um, it was a long time ago and I, I didn't have it aged. But um, yeah, that's those those bucks are they're not pushovers. No, they know what they're doing. I mean, he knew do. he knew where where to go and and how to be sly all year. You know, I mean, think about it. He dodged several shotgun hunters he dodged mm -hmm. a couple bow hunters only on 100 acres of land that i have permission to hunt on so he he knows what he's doing and to see him is just a treat you know it's funny i was talking to somebody the other day about the one of the areas that i hunt um oh i know who it was it was a guy that i uh, talked to on facebook quite a bit runs another podcast but anyway 
um, I was showing him the video from the uh, primitive buck that I took, and he he didn't watch it for a few seconds and came back to me and said, "Are you are you sitting next to a highway or or is your property next to a highway?" And I told him, I said, "It's uh, the area that I was hunting is right on I seventy five, and probably." The far, the, the uh, western edge of the property might be, I don't know, 100 yards at best from the interstate. And not necessarily the, sec- the, the property that I hunt, but really close to it, you can look and see there's, there's strips of hardwoods between a, a, a power line and I-75 that might be 30 feet. 40 yards wide is all it is. Uh, and you walk up through there and the, the beds, you you walk up on doe bedding and buck bedding, they they know where they're safe. Nobody hunts that, can hunt that easement, and they that's where they bed. So uh, they're, they're, it's amazing how, how they figure out where people don't go. Yeah, they're so smart, especially you add the years on there and then they start showing the younger the younger deer, you know, the younger generation now how to, Yep. How do we survive? How do we do this system? And gosh. Well, man, if I don't, if, if, if I don't stop you, we'll sit here and talk about deer hunting all night. I know it's I addicting. Know it, it, it is. It is for me. And I, but I do want to get into this topic cause it's, it's, it's something that I've often wondered about, but again, like I said, I've just never really had the opportunity growing up in North Carolina. We would have winters cold enough that, you know, lakes and ponds would freeze over, but it was one of those, you know, whatever you do, don't try to go out on it because it'll kill you. I mean, because it, it never gets cold enough to freeze uh, thick enough to support, um, you know, body weight. Right, right. But uh, you went right out of, you went right out of uh, deer season into, into this ice fishing. And I know I've been, I watched photos for quite a while show up in my Facebook feed uh, of the fish that you were catching ice fishing for. I actually reached out to you and said, hey, we need to, we need to get you on here and do a podcast about this. So, <laughs> Um, you've, you've been taking a lot of fish this winter. Yeah, we, we have definitely had a good year. I'd say, you know, it's, it's about average. It's about normal. It's, uh, you know, ice fishing when you, when you break it down and, and you have a little bit of experience, you kind of have a system that you do things that, like I told you before we started this, I'll kind of go over, what do you do when you start? Well, when you, when you wake up and you have your system and you know, you're going to go out there and you're going to do one, two, three, like these steps to find fish and catch them. It's, it's tough to not be successful when you're right on fish and that's the most important part. So yeah, I mean, we've had a really good year and of course we're, we're blessed with good water. We're Minnesota, Wisconsin. We're right there. Premier ice fishing States. There's nothing to complain about there. You could go just about anywhere and catch something through the ice. So well, and, and so all the listeners listening now, get ready, get your pens out, because I just said he's going to tell you exactly how to do all this. So uh, I have to <laughs> I have to admit my only knowledge about the sport of ice fishing really comes. And I'm 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 afraid to even bring this up. Your your record on the show with understand or knowing what movies that I'm bringing up is just not that good, Isaac. <laughs> I'm, this I'm, is terrible. <laughs> I'm taking a gamble here, but <laughs> but the only it, it, the the only real uh, knowledge that I have of ice fishing literally came from the movie Grumpy Old Men. And please tell me that you know about that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've okay, I've heard of that. That's that movie. <laughs> okay. The setting of it itself is only about an hour away from my hometown in Wabasha. So yes, really, 
I know Grumpy Old Men and the Green Hornet Fishing Rod is sold all over near me, and I'm actually <laughs> going to be getting one for my dad. That's awesome. That is awesome. I didn't realize it was that close to you before I oh, yeah, brought yeah. that up. Everyone everyone around me knows it. I got I got the movies on Blu-ray, DVD, you name it. <laughs> we got the movies. We watch it every winter, every Christmas. I've watched them both already this year, and yeah, it's great. So as a as a person who, you know, fits the description of that movie, I can say that thinking about sitting on a block of ice all day long waiting for a fish, I can understand why they were grumpy. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it, it's it's got to be, a, I don't know, it's got to be, a, I think it's, I, I, I start out thinking it has to be a different breed, but then I think about, I, I'm sure it's, you become acclimated to some degree to the cold where, you know, somebody like me coming up from, from 50 degree weather in January, trying to go out on the ice, I'd probably freeze to death inside of an hour, no matter how many clothes I put on. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, uh, let's back up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the floor over to you, let you do a little talking and I'm going to try to keep my mouth shut for a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> so how did, how, tell us, you know, how did you get started? How and when did you get started with ice fishing? Oh my, it's, it's something just about everybody does up here is you ice fish. I, I really got into it. You know, it seems like high school, first year of college is when you kind of find what you like to do. That's obviously when I really got into it is probably four or five years ago, but I've had opportunity to do it since I was just a small kid. You know, it's something my dad always did when he was my age. Now he was, he'd go ice fish, you know, the big lakes in Minnesota, like Mille Lacs and, Rainy, Lake of the Woods, uh, Winnebagoshish, Leech, you know, big lakes up here. He used to always go ice fish those places. And now it's like, well, it's my turn to go do that. I got to go experience that. He did. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's just a pastime. It's something most, I mean, I'm not going to say everyone, but most people that enjoy the outdoors, if, you know, if you're a hunter, fisherman in general, you're probably, you're probably ice fishing this time of year up here. Very interesting. I'm, uh, I'm still not sold that it would be something that I would want to do every year, but, uh, now the movie grumpy old men is fairly accurate. Like with it, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's accurate, but they're, uh, <laughs> the, the amount of fish they catch them in that movie is, is, uh, a lot less than what I'd be happy with. You're right. They have a reason to be grumpy and I promise you it's not that boring. <laughs> So, so I was going to ask you, are people really, how many, how many Walter Matthaus are there that are actually using it as a really big beer cooler and how many are really fishing? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> depends on the state. Are you in Minnesota or Wisconsin? <laughs> uh, hate mail goes to Isaac, not, not to the show. Um, <laughs> Oh, there's so, there's plenty of skunk in everyone's boat when, when in either state, really. I mean, there's days they're on, there's days they're off, there's days that you don't even have time to crack a brew, and there's days that, geez, I mean, I'll be the designated driver. I always am anyways. I'm always driving my car out there. So it's like, yeah, some of my friends are like, yeah, the fishing blows, but at least we're having fun. It's like, yeah, bring a football out there. It's yeah, It's really not that boring. Well, see, and here's what's, and I do want to, I do want to get into a little bit more of that. Here's what's funny about that. I hear you talking about this and the things I heard there, driving your car out on the ice, <laughs> playing, playing football out on the ice. And here in Atlanta, if we get, 
if we get a, a, a quarter inch of snow, it shuts the entire city down. <laughs> you completely. don't say. Uh, I mean, it's just, <laughs> so, yeah, a bit, a bit foreign to, to us Southerners. But uh, so all kidding aside, I know you've been very successful. Like I said, I've, I've seen some of the photos and it's, it's not necessarily just quantity. There's been some really decent sized fish you've, you've, you've shown on Facebook, but you know, what species have you been catching? Um, and tell us a little bit more about, you know, sizes and quantities on, on some of your, your good outings. Right. So, you know, with species, it's obviously like anything, it's going to depend on the angler. It's going to also depend on where you're at in the States. You go, you know, Southern part, and I'm just speaking on the States I know of, the the States Mm -hmm. I have experience with, with Minnesota, Wisconsin. Anytime you're in the Southern area of those States, we're talking more, you know, you're probably fishing for crappie. You're probably fishing for perch, probably bluegill. And those are good panfish. Uh, If you go further North, you're going to end up hitting up more walleyes, probably a lot more pike and the occasional muskie for an awesome photo op. And that's really what it is. I mean, there's spots to, to fish for stock trout. I've done that. I, th- I think you probably saw a photo of that. Mm-hmm. So you get stock trout. I mean, it's not, it's not more, I mean, that's not as typical as some of the other, you know, freshwater panfish, but there's that opportunity. Really, it's whatever you want. There's anything you can catch in the summer in a lake, you can certainly try for in the winter on, on the hard on the hard ice. It's just about having the right equipment and being in the right spot. It's like normal fishing, but you're walking on the water <laughs> instead of being in a boat. Right. Right. And is, and I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest here. Some of the, some of the questions that I'm going to throw out as I, I think of them, as you, you're, you're talking, uh, you know, people up North are probably going to be thinking, well, that's a stupid question. You know, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I just, I have no point of reference. So, you know, the, the, I think that was, was that one really large fish you posted fairly recently? That was a muskie, right? Ah, uh, that's a pike. So, yeah, that that's a, pike. a northern pike. Yep. Okay. Um, so when you catch a fish like that this time of year, as what, I mean, is it, is there a fight to, to landing that fish? Yeah. Like it would, I'm, so the cold water really doesn't slow them down all that much? Well, I, yeah, we're kind of going to jump around. That's okay. We'll go over this. Yeah, the pike is like, so what you do is you catch them on what's called a tip-up. I know this seems random. We'll, we'll cover more of the different ways to, to fish, but just for and this. And I know what that is. Okay, so just for this specific story, that, that we use a tip-up. Or uh, in other words, it's, it's a device that has a flag that'll pop up when a fish takes line, and it can take the line with no resistance. Your flag will pop up. You'll know you have a fish on the end, and you hand line the fish in. And yeah, they fight great. I had that fish took a lot of line. He took a whole bunch of line off my spool. And when I lifted the tip up out of the hole or off the top of the ice and out of the hole, I, you know, set the hook on him and I'm pulling it up. And as I pull up, you have to feel when it's time to give the fish line or Mm -hmm. when you have to be pulling. So there's a little bit of skill. It's, there's, there's a, there's a big learning curve. You do it a few times, you figure it out, you know? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they fight, but yeah, for the most part with the right equipment, you man handle them up. <laughs> yeah. Because Which I mean, I'm sitting there, you mentioned, you mentioned the green, the green Hornet and anybody that's watched that movie knows exactly what we're talking about. Right. I, just, I look at that thing and I'm going, 
you can't land any decent sized fish with that thing <laughs> if it's it, i mean you know so i just equated that too well then maybe because of the the you know the extreme temperature cold of the water maybe the fish are you know just their metabolism is slowed down whatever that may be and they're not as they're not as active but it sounds like that is indeed not the case well it it you're right though that is the case it just doesn't take all the fight away i got you 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 know you think of it if if we're gonna pike fish in the summer you're gonna be using uh we'll just say on a trolling rod for example you're probably gonna have 15 to 20 pound uh, monofilament or fluorocarbon line and you know a steel leader and you're going to be trolling with that whereas you know here in the winter my leader is literally 15 or sorry my leader is 10 pounds it's 10 pound fluorocarbon tied to uh, a 10 pound steel leader which they probably won't break so we're talking it's just lighter equipment so they fight a little less. You can get away with lighter equipment that's a little bit more stealthy that they're probably not going to see. Whereas in the summer, you can you got to use a little bit heavier equipment because they're going to fight a lot more. You also think in the summer, and you probably know this just from trout fishing, which you throw a streamer, like streamer versus um, like a like a spinner. We're talking a lot of summer fishing is reaction strikes. Right. A lot of winter fishing is. They have time to inspect the bait and look at it and think, do I want to eat this? Yes, I do want to eat this. And then they eat it and then it's, you know, it's like this slow process. So yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's very similar to, uh, summer fishing with just a couple things change, just a few things, but it's for the most part the same. So thinking about that, Isaac, and, you know, relating it to what I do know, which is, you know, I, I do quite a bit of trout fishing here during the winter and i've actually in fact it's probably one of my favorite times to to go f- fly fishing in north georgia is if we have a uh, a winter storm it's just you know some snow falling and actually go and hit the trout streams and I've, I've done that before when it was so cold that you know you'd have to stop every i don't know 10 or 15 minutes and clean the the, the ice out of your guides on your on your fly rod yeah and and those fish fought the same way that they do in march but that's not, that's still not the extreme. I mean, obviously water can't get below 32 degrees or it freezes. And I don't know what the temperature is, but I'm pretty sure it's 40. It's probably 40s. Yeah. You know, 40 is like 40s. really typical. 40 is yeah. pretty much what it is. And I think like the, the tailwater of the uh, Lake Lanier, which is the Chattahoochee River, which I fish a lot year round. I want to say the average mean temperature on that water is something like 46 degrees year round, yeah. even during the summer here, because it's coming off the bottom of that lake. So I'm guessing the the uh, volume of water, even in states where it, it gets cold enough that you get a, I don't know how thick the ice gets, but it gets thick enough to hold vehicles up. I'm sure there's some kind of insulating factor or whatever, you know, deeper water stays more consistent year round, I would I would think. Yeah. I would know that for sure. I mean, and, and think about uh, just going back to the species and, you know, trout are used to used to cold water. So when like when I ice fished uh, and I'll be doing it this Friday here when I ice fish for uh, for stock trout, well, mm-hmm. they're used to cold water. And the, like you said, OK, we'll use 46 degrees. Well, under the ice, if it's 40 degrees, that six degree temperatures are not really going to affect them much. And right. the few trout that we've caught through the ice is always just amazing fights. 
long mm-hmm. runs, tons of drag getting pulled, craziness at the hole, like, oh my gosh, get him up, get him up, grab him, <laughs> like just crazy stuff. So yeah, and it just like uh, how how warm a fish likes the water in the summer versus what it is in the winter, it, you know, that ratio, the difference is really what's going to determine how much the fight has dropped right. off in the winter versus what it is in the summer. And that makes that that definitely makes perfect sense. Yep. Um, so to so to get back to to some of the the particulars, you know, one of the things, and and this may be again one of those common knowledge things, but you know, for someone that lives up there uh, and obviously starts looking forward to the ice fishing season, because I can tell you get fired up about it. But <laughs> you know, how do you know how do you know when it's safe to go out on the ice? Is there uh, what's the what's the what's the measure there the metric or the when, platform that when you someone else is out there and not drowning <laughs> <laughs> so we've all seen those pictures on or videos on facebook with somebody that drives out and actually loses a vehicle i don't know how often that happens but all the time really yeah this the so I'll, backing up to the question <laughs> i'll lead up to that but okay. let's answer the, the question first you know how do you tell if the ice is good enough there you buy picks so it's like uh man i can't even use that reference you might not know what it is you ever had ice in your driveway you get a get an ice pick for your driveway to chip the ice off yeah there's no way you've had one of those uh no, no. <laughs> all right think of a shovel all steel like mm-hmm. constructed shovel but on the end it's not a shovel it is just a sharp little point Okay. So it's like a pick. So it's just like there to chip the ice. It's an ice chip. So you'll walk out and as you, obviously you walk out from like a boat landing and you know that that water is shallow. So you can step on the ice and you hit the pick and you push it on there, you know, hit it pretty hard and you'll be able to just hear and see like if the ice is cracking or if there's water seeping through, you'll be able to tell and then you walk a little further and you hit it again be able to see like, man, this ice is pretty solid or like, ooh, I'm cracking through. And then you can eventually get out far enough. If you, you know, you should, I always suggest you should know the body of water, get out far enough where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm two to three feet out. So now I can take my auger, which we'll cover in, in a little bit, but take the auger, drill a hole and you can see how thick that ice is. And you can slowly work out and see if the ice stays that thick as you move out. And hopefully you can get to your fishing spot. Uh, you know, with the ice being thick enough for you to walk on. So it's not one of those, you know, hold my beer, hey, y'all watch this, like we would do down in the south. You actually, <laughs> you go and figure out. I mean, you if a- you want to claim we have a higher IQ, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but you, do, there is a, there's a, there's, I mean, there's definitely key indicators yes, that you there's a for. systematic way of doing it so that you don't die. I mean, there's, we... We can only take, you know, there's plenty of stupid people out there that are going to do the hold my beer, but I'm just saying and, and this that is has a normal no, That has way. no geographical boundary either. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, the, the correct way of doing it is with an ice pick and you just hit the ice. But you, prob- you probably also have, I mean, you've got, just from historically speaking, uh, you, you have an idea once it's been cold, oh, cold yeah. enough, long enough before you even go and check, right? I'll put it to you this way. Three days below 10 degrees, you're going to have three inches. So if you can do 
uh, you know, a week where it's below 15 degrees, you're going to be able to walk and you just really watch the weather and the body of water matters too. Like, I mean, big lakes still had open water. I would say, uh, I heard a, a couple bigger lakes near Southeast Rochester where Southeast Minnesota near Rochester where I was at that had open water two weeks ago, but in two days it all hardened right back up because of the temperatures. So, Wow. You know, it just depends. So it fluctuates. It, oh, it can fluctuate. Absolutely. Like if you have a day that's 40 degrees with a warm wind, you're going to lose a lot of ice over that mm-hmm. entire day. And that's where, like like you said, like do a lot of vehicles go in? Yeah, just just last weekend. Or not last weekend, the weekend before that. It was like 40 degrees, a warm wind. We got some rain. There was a foot of ice out there. And a foot of ice is enough for, uh, you know, an aluminum or a wood permanent shack to go out there. It's an, I'd like a little bit more ice to drive a car on it. Typically I, you know, I'm not saying just standard. This is just me. I like, you know, foot and a half might drive a car on foot and a half. Mm -hmm. A, A foot is just, it's not enough because if there's a foot where I like to go, I don't know if there's a spring somewhere, you know, if it's a new body of water, there could be a spring. And then we're talking six inches and we're talking, I'm sinking. So right. I'm just saying I like a foot and a half. But so two weekends ago, there's like a foot of ice and someone, you know, there's a whole bunch of permanents out there. Someone drove their truck out in the warm day. Truck went down. You know, the whole front of the truck was stuck in the lake. And we had uh, five permanents on the local lakes that ended up having half their houses sunk in the water. And <laughs> you got to wait to get them till spring. So I, that, so that was that was going to be my next question, and I know you really want to get into the gear. You're, I can tell you're you're chomping at the bit to get into the gear. But when what ha, I mean, do they eventually retrieve these vehicles? Yes, and the, yes, they okay. use cranes. They use you know, uh, tow trucks with the chains on the wheels and stuff. There's tons of ways. I mean, I could it. It's really just a jimmy rig and anything they can do to get it out. You know, there's times that you call crane crane companies that'll pick your stuff up out of the water. And there's times that it's just a tow truck. There's times a little manpower and a generator with some blow dryers will get your wheels out of the ice. You know, there's it's anything you can do. It's whatever whatever you can do to save your shack. <laughs> Any man for himself with the help of a few community guys around you. <laughs> So how often do they stay till spring? I just, I don't know. I've never had it happen okay. to me. So Okay, so you you usually get them out and continue I first. I don't use permanents. I uh I I stay mobile. And that'll kind of play into how I explain things. I like to I like to move around. Okay. Well, let's so let's 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 jump right into that and I guess, you know, we'll start out simple and and you know, for someone that's thinking about, you know, maybe getting started in ice fishing or maybe they want to make a, a trip up north and, and sit on a block of ice with you. <laughs> um, what what tackle do you need? Yeah, we'll start with like, you know, basic gear. If you're going to want to go ice fishing, like let's just say it's a nice day and you want to go ice fishing, you're going to need a way of getting a hole. So if you, you know, if you can't get a hole in the ice, you can't ice fish. So we're talking an auger. Augers range anywhere from you. I mean, you can get used augers up here for so cheap, and they're just used hand augers. You put fresh blades on them for twenty bucks, and you're good. Like you could be set up for fifty bucks. However, 
hand augers get tiresome. <laughs> so they also have uh, electric ones where you can use a 40 volt lithium battery and those are pretty expensive. It's like anything, you know, what that's of higher quality. It's six, 700 bucks, probably a little bit more. They got gas augers that are around three, 400 bucks. And then there's setups where you can use an 18 or 20 volt drill and you can use the, the drill to attach onto a bit that'll be for the auger and you can use that. There's tons of ways. If, if you know, a, a simple Google search could in 15 minutes could tell you a tell person way more than what I could babble about. There's so many different setups, but let's say price efficient. If you want to be as, you know, price efficient as possible, a used hand auger, no one can go wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a hand auger. You know, you're going to look at it. If it's in one piece, you're good to go. There's nothing to inspect. You cannot, you cannot do any wrong with a, with a hand auger. Moving towards, you know, once you have the hole, what do I do? Okay. Well, I'm going to want a chair. I'm going to want to sit on a chair. Uh, I'm also going to need some bait. Anyone that knows anything about fishing, you just go get some bait, you know, get some minnows, get some wax worms. I don't know if you're familiar with that down there. I it may sound like a dumb question, but I don't know. Wax worms, people use those. You get red spikes. They're just pretty much dyed wax worms. They turn them red with some dye. Um, you know, tons of different bait options. The bait is obviously going to be determined by what fish are you catching. You know, you might want a bigger minnow if you're, uh, you want big minnows if you're going for pike you know medium to small minnows if you're going for walleye crappie minnows if you're going for crappies they have their own little section for that and then you know if you're going for bluegill you're going to want uh you know smaller wax worms or maybe some plastics a lot of times people don't fish for bass through the ice like you can catch them but it's not like you're not going to go out and be like yeah i'm bass fishing today like it, it, it might happen i'm sure there's spots where people do that but just to say that's why I'm not covering bass. It's like they're really lethargic in the winter. You're probably not going to be able to target a whole bunch of them. And in, in all honesty, that's where a lot of my misconception probably comes from around the fighting and the fish being so lethargic during the wintertime is that's probably what I fished for most of my uh, the most in my life. Oh, is, absolutely. Is being bass. in Georgia, I mean, you guys got massive bass, so I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it for a second. And before you move on to, to other equipment on the on the bait, so that that was actually another question I thought about. I was going to ask if it came up, and there was a good entry point. So, it sounds like the majority, and and you can correct me on this, but it sounds like the majority of this is actually fishing with some form of live bait, Absolutely. as opposed to artificial. Okay. Absolutely, and you know, a lot of people use artificial bait for panfish. Works great. I just personally haven't experienced a time where that artificial bait was more effective than having you know a real source of food for the fish to bite on your hook like sure. there's times that the bite is so hot that you just rather use a plastic so you don't have to rebate because a it's more cost efficient and b the fish are biting so good you're like rebating is a waste of time like i just want to get back down there so it's time efficient there's definitely times that's true but personally i just I just go with bait. Why not? Buy a bunch. Waxworms are cheap. Buy a bunch of bait. Catch a bunch of fish. Oh, well. I don't. It's not something I care to debate, but a lot of people will. <laughs> okay. 
uh, I would say I'll, I'll make one more note, and that is uh, artificial versus real. For the pike, something that you might be, you might find it hilarious is when people use tip ups for pike. They mm-hmm. sometimes people use hot dogs, so that's funny too. Is we use typically anywhere from six to ten inch sucker minnows that we'll put on the put on our hook, hook them in what's called a quick strike rig as okay. uh, like a normal big hook, just a single hook for the mm-hmm. front that goes in the lip, and then you have a treble hook that'll go just behind their dorsal fin in their back and it'll have like steel leader going up to one point and then that'll lead to a swivel that'll go to your line and people will use hot dogs or sucker minnows and it seems to be a trade-off between the two it seems like the the hot dogs the way that they're made has a bunch of grease and oil that'll seep into the water that the pike smell it they'll come up and eat it and it's really really attractive compared to a minnow interesting that doesn't and that doesn't surprise me all that much. I mean, it's another thing that, uh, you know, here in the South that people love to fish for is catfish. And I've, oh, I've yeah. heard of every possible thing you can imagine people using to catch catfish. So Good point. That, that doesn't surprise me that much. Yeah. So moving towards, you know, if you're going to ice fish, we, we covered, you got to have a hole. You got to have a chair. You're going to have to have some bait. Hooks is, I mean, common sense, I would... I don't probably don't need to give advice on hooks. I just feel like one thing to note on that is that bigger isn't better for ice fishing. You're going to want to be sneaky. You want to kind of hide that hook. Uh, Something I always do is I hook my minnows in the tail and that hides it great. And I can make, I can use a pretty small hook to hook them in the tail. Then like the walleye, for example, or even the crappie, they come up and they like to eat things head first. They, they seem to always hit the minnow in the head first. So I always like to put my hook in the tail because they'll hit that head, they'll hit that minnow head first and I'll let them take it and I'll let them kind of eat that minnow. And then when I set the hook, my hook is always, always in the top of their mouth or in the corner of their mouth. You know, it's right in the money spot where I want it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've just found that, you know, a minnow hooked in the tail, barbless, is great for the fish and you i have no issues catching the fish it's just great it's good for you know catch and release it's just great so it always and ends up in a good spot they fish, don't swallow the hook what kind of fish was that you said always likes to eat head first the uh, the crappies and the walleye typically they'll examine the bait a minnow and the crappies will feed up they actually feed vertically and they like to hit those minnows right in the head and the the I'm, walleyes I'm, will just crush stuff and they might, I mean, the walleyes might not every time, but if they could, you know, if they find a minnow and it's one that they're inspecting, let's say it's a finicky bite, they will hit it head first. They'll pound it right in the face. And then when I set the hook, it's right there, right in their lip. Perfect spot. And that was a bit of a setup question. I was going to give you a little bit of a hard time. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, the crappie and the, we, I, I grew up calling them crappy. Oh, the yeah. first time somebody said crappie, I was like, what the heck are they talking about, a crappie? But I, over time, I figured out it was just, uh, it depends on where you're from, what you call them. So. Yeah, I mean, when they're not biting, we call them crappie. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll let you move on. <laughs> There's When they're good, they're crappies, and when they're bad, they're crappy. They're crappy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
So moving towards uh, rod reel line, I like four pound line. It seems pretty light, but every year it seems like someone from my fishing group pulls in a 40s, mid, you know, mid 40s to high 30s muskie on two to four pound line. It happens every year. Four pound just seems like it's a great, you know, it's sneaky. I typically get fluorocarbon so that it's invisible and it has, you know, better abrasion resistance on the ice. So fluorocarbon four pounds and it just seems like it's a great com- combo between invisibility you know that stealth factor as well as being really tough it's just a great line so i always suggest that and then with the rods i don't ever buy anything expensive it really is just whatever you can afford it's i mean there's stuff that's on the market right now that are 150 dollars for a 28 inch fishing rod like how does that even happen to me, it's just overkill. This is just my opinion. I Cheap stuff gets it done time and time again for fishing. It's, I'm hard on my equipment. I will, you know, Shields, for example. Shields has a pretty much an unconditional lifetime warranty. So I'll buy a cheap Shields rod before I buy an expensive, you know, rod that's got a limited warranty because I'll... I don't care necessarily about whatever performance feature that expensive rod has. I'm just know that the cold is hard on my equipment. And then you add in the factor that I'm just clumsy sometimes and I'm hard on my equipment. And it's like, I'll take something with a better warranty. So that's just something I would say about the rods is like, really get what you can afford, but look at the warranty because the cold is hard on equipment very hard on equipment. You don't know how much pressure you're putting on the tip of your rod when you're trying to break the ice off the that end eyelet. I broke so many. It's crazy. So now I definitely go for the warranty. Reels, whatever comes with it, whatever, whatever you want. Inline reels have changed the way I ice fish big time, but I know a lot of people don't really like them. It's personal preference. What I like about the inline reel is I can use a super light jig and my line is not going to have a bunch of coils in it like it would from a traditional like open face rod. Those mm-hmm. coil the line really tight and an open face reel won't really do it as tight. So it's nice to have that because I can pull line out. I can, you know, click the bail open so it'll let the line out and I can pull it out and it's not going to have a coil. So then it's a tighter line from the tip of my rod to the bait. So now if a, if a fish takes it, I have that much more feel. So that's really, like I said, it's it's what you can afford. Those are a little bit more pricey, but if you really get into it, it might be something to look at to kind of up your game and increase your odds of success. And I've seen, so I've just sorry to interrupt you no, just a little bit, but all I, good. I've seen I've seen some photos where people have posted that uh, honestly looks like they you know they've got an ice fishing rod that they bought but they're basically just moving whatever reel they happen to have onto that rod to use for the ice fishing like i mean i've seen uh i've seen fly reels and i know it doesn't look like there's fly line on it but it's it's basically just a fly reel on a uh you know a little ice fishing rod is that pretty common or do most people i've seen it all i feel like out on the ice you see tons of combinations of things it's definitely not out of the question uh if if someone wants to do that go ahead i mean it's there's nothing stopping you you might look a little silly if you have a a pretty big reel on a small rod but if it works for you go ahead like it's not going to prevent you from catching fish it's 
it's going to winch them in just as good as anything else. So I say go for it. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, it's I've I've seen tons of just what <laughs> I I've seen like uh like ten weight ten weight fly reels on a short short ice rod. I've seen that. That's looks ugly, but it works. Well, you know, in 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 bow hunting, everybody does everything the same, right? So right. <laughs> There's never a debate with bow hunting, and there's just never a debate with ice fishing. <laughs> uh, the debates with bow hunting. I'll have to tell you a few stories after, after <laughs> we finish recording. Don't don't pull me down that rabbit trail, Isaac. So, <laughs> uh, so we're we let's say we've covered um, we've covered getting you know how to get into the ice, the hole in the ice, um, uh, bait, line, rod and reel. Yep. Anything else? Shacks are, you know, to stay warm, a shack, insulated shack is way more money than a non-insulated shack. I don't use an insulated shack and I stay plenty warm and get yourself a heater with a propane tank. It's that easy. I mean, see uh, there again, uh, that just, again, I'm just a, I'm just a good old Southern boy, but that, (laughs) that's counterintuitive to go out and sit on a block of ice that's holding your butt up from freezing water and light a fire. It, <laughs> it, 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 they, it, something just doesn't mesh there. So I'm assuming, well, one, there's no way, I, I guess there's no way you can get it, but so warm. Um, oh, I've had it so warm in a shack. <laughs> I've been, I've had it where I had uh, like my, my alpha burly lacrosse, boots waterproof you know high boots and i've mm-hmm. had a couple inches of water <laughs> in the bottom of my shack <laughs> and we're like sitting there we like no one has a shirt on we're all just cooking and we're catching fish and we're just cooking in there what's even funnier too is like the little the the big buddy heaters have a like a little rack it's just yeah, you'd have to Google what a little what a big buddy heater looks like. But I know exactly what they are. Okay, so Jason Sam Covey, I think is that the one. I it might be. Yeah, I it think it might I've be the one that Jason. I know what you're talking about because I've seen them, but I can't remember if it was Jason Sam Covey that did a video on them or something else. But you I know can exactly flip what that you're rack up and you can rig it so that you can cook brats and burgers yes, on there. That, that's exactly the one that Jason Sam Covey. Yeah, did so we're like that. ice fishing. It's way hot in there. You got two. 20 pound propane tanks hooked up one on each side you got the thing on high and it's just cooking it in there and then you got you know brats and burgers going in your shack and then you got the vents open of course so you don't get sick carbon monoxide and die but (laughs) i mean you know you got proper ventilation and you got just food and you got heat and you got fish and it's just crazy good yeah, I'm just going to say it. You know, people up north give us southern guys, a, people, a hard time about uh, doing weird things. But I'm just saying, you're waiting for it to get cold so you can go out and generate enough heat to melt the ice <laughs> to catch fish under the ice and basically to have a tailgate party in a shack. That's exactly what ice fishing is. You already got the spirit. <laughs> you got to come up. You're going to have to come up and try. That's exactly what it is. It's a tailgate party out on the ice. You haven't, you haven't seen it. Like grumpy old man is so accurate. Like the shacks are that close. The shacks are that close. There's roads you can walk down and drive your vehicle down. You got shacks on both sides, and you're 
you're like driving and they got plows and it's exactly how that is. It's literally exact. It just, you know, we're not as grumpy. I like to think we have some success out there. Well, that's just because I haven't gotten there yet. So, oh boy. Uh, (laughs) So it's basically, it's like little towns pop up out on the lake. Absolutely. And you always go for the town. It's always a local that knows what they're doing. (laughs) It sounds bad. It's seriously true though. I mean, we don't always stick with the town. We venture off and go towards bigger fish but the steady fish is always at the town go to the town so it does basically what you're saying is it doesn't matter if the ice is covering the fish or not when one person catches a fish everybody's going to that spot uh, i mean not all the time that might have been a slight exaggeration on my part but it's more fun <laughs> when you're at the town that's man go to the town it's more fun you got people uh, throwing God. footballs everyone's cooking food now yeah now we're now we're getting back to the is it is it fishing or is it drinking beer? I, uh, this, hey, I don't drink that much at all, so it's a lot of fishing <laughs> on my end. Okay. Obviously, you go to the town because that's where the fun's at. But <laughs> let's say let's say you found your own little block of ice that you want to fit. I mean, how do you go about finding where the fish are? Yeah, and, you know, that's probably the biggest part about this whole thing is you can Google and Google and Google equipment. And you can find more information on equipment than what I can say in just, you know, an hour, hour and a half long podcast. But the fact of the matter is, is finding fish is the most difficult thing for any beginner ice fisherman. So like I told you, it's like, I'd really like to go over how we dissect a piece of water just because I think it can help people a lot. You know, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but yeah, I, I catch a lot of fish. I realize I'm in a a spot that's got a lot of fish also, but that those types of things that we look for translate to a lot of bodies of water. So yeah, I'm going to take a minute and I'll go over, you know, how do I dissect a piece of water? Okay. When, oh, and this ties, I'm sorry, this ties into a piece of gear that we didn't talk about is, is a depth finder. So you can buy what's called a flasher. It's, it's your depth finder. It's what is going to tell you the depth and it. it shows you if there's fish below you. Uh, have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? I know what a, I know what a fish finder is. Right. But have you used the flasher kind? Uh, no. Okay. So you might be a little bit I've, unfamiliar. I, honestly, but... I've, I've never used, I've never used a fish finder. I've been, I've been on boats where people had them, but I've never, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a, I'm either in waders or I'm on the bank. Right, right. And it's something that if, you know, if you're, you're a river guy, you don't really use, you know, river stream, you know, the way that you do it with fly fishing and things, you don't really use this, but I'll just say, you know, for the viewer, just look up a Vexlar or a hummingbird flasher or Markham, whatever there, there's different brands. Just look it up, uh, watch a how to video about how to read it. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So I don't want to spend too much time on that. There's, People okay. that have explained it way better than what I can. And I just want to say that I just want to go over how how to find the fish. And what we do when we first get out there is we walk out there and typically, you know, like I said, it's it's good. It's best to know the body of water. You're going to kind of have an idea on where some type of contour is or some type of flat or, you know, just something, a transition area like we like we talk about with deer hunting, a transition area, the bottom going from to sand to gravel or, you know, a weed edge, something like that. And you're going to drill mm-hmm. where you think that is. And you can use your flasher to 
find where that is. You find where that is and then you drill, uh, we call it Swiss cheesing. We go Swiss cheese mode and we drill a ton of holes, tons of holes. This is where the hand dog, you're going to get pretty tired, but Garen, my roommate and my other roommate, Chris and I, we, we Swiss cheese, we take turns and we just drill tons of holes. And we use the, the flasher to mark fish. And I just think it's, it's easier said than done, but it's something I, I refuse to fish if I'm not marking fish. I refuse. Why on earth would I set up my shack and set up my little town and have a good old time if I'm not going to catch a single fish? So, so we, you say you're Swiss cheesing the ice, but we're not talking about, you know, holes that are a foot apart. You're, no, you're, right. So how far you, so you drill a hole and how typically how 10, far 15 you yards. How, I okay. mean, it far enough where you're like, Oh, there might be something here instead of over there type of thing. It's right. you feel it out. You know, it depends on the size of the body of water. It depends on how much the depth is changing. You know, if I, if I drill and I walk 10, 10 yards and I drill and I walk another uh, 10 yards and I drill and a person, the person I'm with normally will run the Vexlar then and, and show like, oh, this hole was 10 feet. Oh, this hole was 12 feet. You know, if, if you get a pattern, you know, oh, how far do I got to move until I hit 20? Whereas right. if it's like they're all nine feet, it's like, Jeep, okay, we got to walk a ways. We got to find where this thing drops off. And uh, the other important thing to know is with the ice fishing and finding fish is you got to drill a lot of holes. So that if if you're listening and you want to write something down, now's the time to start writing is right now. So you want to drill a bunch of holes. You want to mark fish and it's got to be in deeper water. These fish are not hanging out in two, three feet, 12 feet. You know, the panfish, the walleyes, they're not in those spots. They used to be in the spring. They used to be you know, uh, early summer working towards the dog days of summer and they might be more 15 feet. The walleyes might come up shallower at night. They're not doing that right now. Right now they're deep and they're working deeper flats. So if you have a spot that is 40 feet that comes up to 20 feet, that's where you want to be is that, that contour between that 20 and 40 feet. Whereas in the summer, you might've been like, wow, that 20 feet's deep and it comes up to 12, 15 and you might fish that 12, 15. Well, in winter, you got to go, I always think of it as I go one more contour deeper, one more contour line deeper. And I don't mean like if there's a contour line at 12 and a contour line at 13, I mean like there's structure at 12, there's structure at 20, and the deepest basin is 40. You want to be at 20 feet. And that's what we look for in every body of water we go to. If we're going for crappies or walleyes, the crappies will be suspended, the walleyes will be on the bottom. We look for these deep holes that got just a, a shallower shelf next to it. And like I said, shallow doesn't mean 12, 15. Shallow just means like a five to 10 foot, uh, you know, decrease in depth, increase in contour. So that's, that's really the biggest thing for a beginner is to understand that you're not fishing in summer locations. You're not fishing in spring locations. You're fishing for fish that are where the bait fish have moved to and that's to the spots that are a little bit warmer, deeper. They're, you know, away from the ice, away from the outside conditions, a little bit warmer. They're in that deeper water where the bait fish are hanging out. And they're going to they're gonna cruise off of these 20-foot shelves at the bait fish that are suspended in the 40-foot. And they're going to 
those bait fish will be sitting there in 40 foot and they're going to come bolting off these shelves and hitting them as they swim by. That's what I always picture. So if you had to take one thing from this podcast, that's what you have to know is where to find those fish. What about, what about structure? Well, the structure is the, the water itself is the structure. It's kind of weird that way. Uh, you know, there might be times you find a hump. I found a rock, uh, at one of the spots that we, that we fish a lot for walleye and I found a rock in 30 feet. Well, that's bonus, but how many people can reliably find, I, I can't go to anybody at water and say, oh, I'm going to find a rock. Like it's not going to happen. The depth change is now the structure rather than, you know, a tree, a stump, rocks, okay. stuff like that. that so sense. it's just the depth change. And if you get a flat shelf that is just so prime. It's so important to find that flat feeding shelf. They don't like these steep declines. They can't, they can hug those, but it's tough to be active and be sneaky on those. But if you can find a flat shelf, they can hug the bottom and they, it's like camouflage. You're, you're at the bottom and these bait fish are suspended three, five feet up and they rise up and smack those things from the bottom. Whereas if you have a curved contour, it's easy for them to tell, tell the difference in them because they can't, keep that belly flat you know they're along that that curve and it just doesn't really work so i guess my only question to all that would be when we as you went through the entire equipment list i'm i'm listening and i'm thinking that's pretty 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 cheap i don't use the word cheap pretty cost efficient way to actually get out and enjoy the outdoors even during the time of the year when most people are sitting in the house. So aside from maybe a way to keep warm, which I do want to come back to the warmth. With thing anything minute, that's new, you're going to have a pretty big initial cost. You know, we're looking at shack, the cheapest shacks are two, 300 bucks. The, the fish finder, Vexlar, the, the flasher unit is going to be, you know, 300 bucks. The auger so it, is going to be, you know, like I said, it's it's good if you can buy used and it'll be cheaper, but a brand new one is going to be, you know, 300 bucks. It's like anything. It's it's going to be an investment to get started. But the good thing is that when you have those things, they don't ever go away. Hopefully, you know, it's this, hopefully your equipment does well and you don't, you're not constantly buying new because it's breaking, but I've never had stuff go wrong. Like you buy once, typically you cry once and maybe once every five years, you might have to do a little bit of maintenance. And that, so that, and that's exactly where I was, where I was going with this. So if, if I, if I sit and listen to all the, the gear that you, you walk through, um, I know I have, without it, I have to have the auger. I have to have the, you know, the rod, the bait, the reel, the line, blah, blah, blah. Potentially, if I really wanted to get out there and, and, and fish, I could, I could fish without the shack. Yep. I do it all the time. The next more the next most costly piece of equipment that you talked about was the fish finder. So my question was, if you don't have the money to buy the flasher, you don't have the money to buy the fish finder, and you still want to fish, you know, is there is there a way to find the fish that way, or is it really simply just trial and error? Is it, you know, are you asking the locals? What's You're going you know, to have to know your body of water very well to be able to be successful consistently without a way of seeing what the depth is, seeing what's down there. Um, you know, I, I like it being adventurous. So I always just say, you know, if, if you're going to get into ice fishing, I think the number one piece of equipment you have to have 
is the flasher. Like I would rather someone, I'd rather someone hand auger every hole. I'd rather someone fish with no shack. I'd rather someone not have a chair. For Christ's sakes, don't have a chair. Do whatever you can do to buy that flasher because the second you do and you learn how to read it, you are going to find fish way easier. You're going to actually find the fish. You know, you're not going to be assuming they're there. And kind of going back to how I said, wait, you no, know, where to fish these, these flats next to this deep water, you know, a, a flat ne- adjacent to deep water typically is going to hold an active pot of fish that are currently actively feeding. Now, you know, you can look at a big lake and you're going to have miles. The flat is going to be miles long, big, big square miles like leech or Malax. Or you can go to a smaller lake or even like a reservoir, like a local, local reservoir or something that might only be 50 acres and it's going to be small. So it, you know, if it's small, you got to have that flasher to be able to find that section. But if it's big, you got to have the flasher because you want to find where the fish are on the flat. So to me, it's like I would go without everything else, bare minimum. I would go with uh, whatever lure I liked, you know, jig hook with bait and a rod and a hand auger that's used and a flasher. And I would be set up for less than 500 bucks on a new hobby. You'd be hurting on cold days, but at least you'd be finding the fish and it would make it bearable. Well, and that's a good point because if, if there's not fish there to catch, then you're just sitting on the ice. Right. And it's I just mean, a vertical. I mean, all you can do is jig vertically. So why right. not mm, put your jig down where you know there's fish? And there's certainly locations where the fish are constantly moving through. So you might not mark them now but you might mark them later. But it's like, even even in situations like that, what I do is I drill a whole bunch of holes and I might mark fish and I might be like, okay, they're just moving through. And then it tells me, it's like, okay, I just need to walk around these holes and I'll drop my depth finder in. I'll be like, oh, no fish. And I get up and walk and I go, oh, no fish in that hole. And I walk, oh, there's fish in that hole. And I set it down and I get my line down there as fast as possible and I catch one. And when I catch them, the fish spook away and now they're not in that hole anymore. If it's a keeper, we, we call it icing them. If it's a keeper, we go, we iced him. Ice him. It's a keeper. Yell over to your buddies and you flop them on the ice and you take your transducer, the little part that reads the depth, out of the water and you're with your depth finder and you walk to another hole. Oh, no fish. Walk to another one. Oh, there's fish in this one. You drop down. Hopefully you catch one. And you just keep doing that process. So like I said, I mean, I realize I'm I'm pretty much saying you need to spend 300 bucks, but seriously, you want to have fun. You want to be successful. You need to spend 300 bucks. You're going to have to do it. And it, and it makes, it does make perfect sense. It, it really does. Um, cause it's not a, you're definitely limited visually. It's Absolutely. not like, you know, trout fishing. You can even, even, you know, here in North Georgia, I mean, you can, you can spot fish and fish to them. You don't have that luxury. Right. With right. what you're talking about. So, couple pieces of, 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 I don't want to say gear, but situations I do want to get in, in further. So as far as staying warm, you've mentioned the, you've mentioned the, the shack and you've mentioned the buddy heater. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't have those two, let's say, and you said you've done it. So how, how do you, you know, how do you go about staying warm 
um, if you don't have a shack or or and can't use the buddy heater? Yeah, is you know, it just it's layering a, clothes. What's the deal? Yeah, it's a lot like hunting. Uh, we're basically you're trying to stay dry. You're gonna have I I mean I use what I just call my snowmobile boots. They're just like really insulated and they're waterproof because they're just winter boots. So like really insulated boots, layer up on the socks, you know, merino wool base, layer it up just like you're going to go hunting. And I would say you're going to want waterproof pants because like I said, get rid of the chair. You can be on your knees out on the ice. I mean, I realize not trying to call you old, Steve, but you might have a harder time on your knees out on the ice than what I will, you know, and it would be harder for you to bounce hold a hole and constantly go down to your knees and then stand up and then go to another hole down to your knees to read the depth finder and, and fish. That'd be harder on you than what it would be for me. So, I mean, I'm not saying everyone has to have waterproof pants, but let's say you're planning to ditch the chair. You get the waterproof pants, get them. You're, they're going to be worth it. They're going to keep you warm. If you're kneeling in water on warm days or, you know, whatever you can come up with in your head, that would happen on the ice. I'd say waterproof pants. And the piece of gear that's changed it big time for me this year was Teresa Asbell's wool anorak. It, it's crazy warm. Like you, like we discussed is like, you can get, you know, some type of uh, polyester nylon combination jacket below it. That's going to break the wind. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe hopefully get two layers of something like that. If it's going to be windy out there, get two layers of that, have Merino wool, uh, thick under armor layer, and you're going to put on that, that, uh, Asbel wool. I have never been so warm out on the ice is what I've been this year with Teresa's, uh, garment that I bought from her. It has been amazing. And yeah, I love, good. I love the high chest pocket in the anorak. Cause I mm-hmm. put a hand warmer in there and I don't like to reel fish in with bulky gloves because typically ice fishing equipment's smaller. So I just like to have my gloves in the lower pockets, like near where my pant pockets would be because the anorak's so long, you know? So like the, the lower pockets would have my gloves in there and then I would have hand warmers up in my top chest and I'd be able to stick my hands in there. It's like a little oven because it's so insulated in that little section so it's just it's just big time change the way that I stay warm out on the ice. Well, Teresa's Teresa's wool is fantastic. I've got way more of it than I need just because I like having different options, but it will definitely it will definitely keep you warm. Yeah, no it's great. It. And and I want to congratulate you. You're the you're the first guest we've had on the podcast that called me old and feeble. So next year. <laughs> Nick will really enjoy that. Um, my only counter to that will be, eh, don't assume too much. Nick will tell you, I'll walk you in the, into the dirt. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, I might just have to take you up on that. Just see if I can endure. You're going to have to. You know, all it's it's every man for himself when we're out there and it's slippery. I hope you got ice picks on your boots. <laughs> I've got, I can figure out something. That if nothing else, I have, uh, I have studied waiting boots so. <laughs> there you go there you <laughs> go that is something i guess i should have added is like if if you're going to be out on the ice you can get strap-on studs for your boots so that's kind of cool yeah, some too. kind of yeah some kind of cleats or something right yep, yeah i don't ever use them because you know i'm a little nimble <laughs> i like to think uh <laughs> i've i've wiped out so bad out there before i was getting ready to say i hope somebody's got examples of videos or 
photos they can share with you know, me after they hear this podcast. I will say this small little story, it won't take up too much time, and it, it had my dad and I last weekend just dying of laughter. This guy, there wasn't a lick of snow out on the lake. Not even a, like a flake, nothing. And this guy's <laughs> drilling, and he didn't have cleats on, and the augers, like the gas augers, are pretty powerful. <laughs> You know where I'm going with this. I do. He was spinning He's in a probably circle. probably from Atlanta. That, that auger was not <laughs> drilling ice. He was going in a circle, and he lost traction. <laughs> and he, for some reason, it's like uh, when you're on a dirt bike and someone does a Superman trick where the, dro- the throttle goes, and you're like, oh, no, but you're going backwards, and the bike's going forward, and that just maxes out the throttle. You just keep going accidentally faster and faster until you're Superman right. off the thing. He did that to his auger. It was amazing to watch. The guy's like spinning in a circle and he tried to grip it. He's got the thing with one hand and it's maxed out. And he literally got chucked like five yards away from the auger and he's sliding on the ice and his buddy was running over and he caught the auger just before his buddy like let go of it like and got flung off. He caught the auger. He had cleats on. And then he just grabbed it and just kept drilling. It didn't care. His buddy flew over to the side. It was just amazing to watch. It was like, where, where, where? Around in a circle. Off the guy goes, tossed off. The other guy slides in, grabs the auger, and just keeps drilling down the hole. It was just amazing. Best well, thing I've ever seen You out really there. wished you had your cell phone handy in time? I did not. But I tell you, it's in my head and it's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. So... The last thing that I can think of, unless, you know, this leads us down another rabbit trail, is you've mentioned the football. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, it, as I listen to this, and maybe it's, again, a lot of this is probably just perception from someone who's just never done it. But I would anticipate that there's a, a – so if I'm, if I'm fishing, usually – you know, I'm 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 very active, and again, part of this may be perception, so you can straighten me out here. But you know, if I'm if I'm fly fishing for trout, I'm hitting a, a rift two or three times. If I don't catch something, I'm moving on. If I catch something, I'm I'm right back in that same that same little uh, pocket. But it's it's very active. I'm constantly doing something. When I think about ice fishing, I just don't see it as a very active sport. And again, maybe I'm wrong. So. I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching this, um, the, what'd you call it? Tip up. Yep. I'm watching the tip up or I'm watching the end of my rod, whatever I'm doing, but I'm not necessarily very active. So what do you do to pass the time? Because playing football, you're not fishing while you're playing, or maybe you are, I don't know, but I would (laughs) think if you were out playing football, it's just the fish aren't biting. So we're going to throw a football around for a little while and then try again. So Kind of walk me through that scenario. Tell me where I'm wrong and, and, right. and kind of give me a It's rundown. funny. Your questions are kind of uh, filling in the blanks of some of the things that I miss with just going over equipment in general and me being excited about, you know, <laughs> telling people, you know, how, how to accomplish this thing. Because it's, it's interesting being on something oh, for ice fishing. So what I, what I missed is talking about tip-ups itself. And it'll cover what, what you're asking. There's, there's really two different, three different ways, I guess really two, but kind of three different ways of, of ice fishing. And that is really the active. Like I said, you drill a bunch of holes, you got your transducer with your depth finder down there and you're going up and down and you're looking and, and checking holes for fish and you're actively fishing. That sounds like something that would really appeal to you. 
And that's something that I do. And that's how really, I mean, that's how I catch a lot of fish. I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm great. There's a lot of people way better than me, but I see a lot of people that get hung up on one spot and don't move. And we see him at the boat landing at the, at the, in the evening. Hey, how'd you do? And they're like, oh, not, not really anything. And we're like, well, we got our limit, dot, dot, dot. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. You didn't move. Like, you got to move. So there's days where that is great. And a lot of times people do that for crappies, perch, you know, walleye. The things are going to, to typically eat. But there's a whole different side of fishing when you're talking pike. Big pike don't just come through and... And, you know, it's not active fishing all day. We're talking two, three, four fish days, but big quality fish, hopefully. You know, there's days mm-hmm. that you catch 20-some little hammer handles, we call them. Just little, like, snakes, 20-inch pike. But when you're going for big ones, you're using big bait. Hopefully that deters the little ones away. And it's a long time between bites. So you might, you know, you might have a portable grill out there. You might all be sitting in a circle. Uh, people might if they're of age, might be drinking and, and people be tossing a football around. I've, I've seen people have wiffle ball games out there playing baseball out on the ice. You know, I've seen tons of stuff. And so when you use tip ups, that's what they're called. That's, it'll sit on top of the ice. You'll have line that's down in the hole and the fish, like I said earlier, can take it with no resistance. And when the spool starts spinning, it'll tip your flag up and you'll know you have a bite. So when you're doing pike fishing, you can do pretty much whatever you want out on the ice uh, and pass time until you see a flag go up. And then when a flag goes up, everyone runs over there. And if it's your turn in the rotation, it's your turn to reel that fish in. And hopefully you don't lose them because if you do, you're about to catch a lot of flack from a lot of people. <laughs> so really that just covers the two different spectrums. Like it's, it's, if you're using a rod, you're typically active. If you're using the tip up, you're not really moving those baits around. You're set up in a spot that you think are going to hold, you know, big pike and, you're just waiting for a flag to go up and you're doing whatever you can on the ice to pass the time, which is fun. I mean, I do that too. And I stay active also it just depends on my mood for the day. Well, and it, it, and I'm not, so understand for you or anybody else that's listening that actually, you know, participates in the sport. I'm not trying to, I'm definitely not trying to belittle it. I'm just trying to, again, understand it. Oh it, yeah, absolutely. It, no, it's completely foreign to me. Just like, you know, if I, and I haven't done this in many years, but if I started talking to you about running a trot line, I don't know if you've ever done anything like that. That's probably more of a Southern um, thing, but I I still can't, I guess I just can't get my, my mind around, you know, how you, how it, how it can be more of an active. Although I guess listening to you talk about, you know, having these tip ups and, and getting out and, you know, you, you do it in order. Yeah. I, that, that I can get, um, and a part of, again, part of my misconceptions is probably, unfortunately, all the thing I've got to go on really is, again, the movie we talked about. Right. So, and the other thing, too, to remember is that with winter fishing, you get more lines in the water. In Minnesota, you only get one line in the water during, you know, the open water months of the year. Well, ice fishing, you get two. In Wisconsin, I think it's two normally. And in the winter fishing, you get three. So it's, now, what do you, uh, you got to explain that. I'm not sure what you're, what you're meaning by that. Okay. So let's say you go fishing in a boat with me, okay. open water in Minnesota. We can each only have, be using one pole. We can only use one oh, okay. pole. We only have one line in the water. But if you go ice fishing in Minnesota, you can have two. So you could be jigging one and you can have a tip up out. 
or you could be okay. jigging too. You can have like a bobber rod and one that you're jigging. Like it just, you know, you get, you get to fish with two rods per person. And in Wisconsin, it's two in open water. And then it's three, uh, for the ice fishing side of things. So yeah, you know, that makes it a little more active, I guess. And I realize you're not trying to belittle it. I'm just saying, you know, some people do look at it like, no, ice fishing's boring. It's, it's not uncommon. People even think that up here. It's, it's fun to do. My dad always calls it equipment chores. Seems like if you're doing equipment chores, then uh, a flag always seems to go up. If you're doing, you know, uh, if you if you're tip up fishing, like if it's time right. to, yeah, we should go around and chip the holes and make sure they're not freezing up on us, or hey, we should go change some minnows. Seems like you you get busy with your tip ups, or you pass time playing football, for example. It seems like uh, a flag just is always there's always a flag going up if you stay occupied. So typically, it's it's active. You're doing things. You're walking around. You're you know, tending to the, to the baits off and on. And I guess what I'm getting at is if you're doing tip up fishing, you're going to have a decent amount of people typically. So if you got five people, you got 10 lines, crap. I mean, you're going to manage your rods every 15, 20 minutes or your tip ups, you know? So yeah, there's, there's ways to stay occupied and the time goes by just, just fine. Especially when you get a big old bag of candy out there and, and, uh, some you know something to something to drink soda or if you're of age and uh if you're 21 you can choose whatever you want but you know it's fun to go out there and catch up with friends especially during uh yeah busy school school week or work week for sure. people and you go out there hey you want to go out to the lake on saturday yep all right yeah well we're, i think we're going to do tip-ups all right we'll meet you at this boat landing and you go out there and it's just good to catch up with people and like us we could talk forever we could talk on the phone for hours well, what's the difference if I'm out on the lake and it's 25 degrees and I'm all bundled up and we're talking face to face and waiting for a flag to pop up instead of talking on the phone? So it's, you know, it's a social thing too. It's, it, and it does sound like it. And I'm all, we'll have to figure out a way at some point in the next few years, we'll have to figure out a way to make that happen. Cause I, I it is You're something I'd like to. to experience at least once. Um, and hope I don't like it too much cause I'm, I, I can't afford to move. And I don't, <laughs> I'll have a green horn. I don't, waiting for I don't you. like, I don't like it when it gets so cold that the air hurts you. So, uh, I kind of like it. I kind of like it down here in the South most of the time. So I am well, a winter guy. I like the cold and I like ice fishing and that's, I like the cold months. It's just how I am. I don't know why. Maybe it'll change I, as I age. I know my dad's a little more sensitive to the cold than I am just from age. But as of now, I, I, I love the winter. I'm the same way. I'm I much prefer uh, fall and winter. Obviously, part of that's you know the activities that I really enjoy doing. But you know, there's you can always put more clothes on. But you know, when you're out in public, they won't let you take but so many off <laughs> when it gets hot. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm I'm more of a winter person too. But that said, again, I don't I don't like it when the air starts hurting me. Um, <laughs> And you know, I hunted. Uh, I hunted up in the UP of Michigan a few years ago. I guess it was back in twenty thirteen. It's been a while. Um, and you know, we were in a camp for the whole week. It was it was outside. There were you know plenty of nights that it got you know into the into the low teens. Uh, and it was really surprising how quickly your your body will acclimate once you once you're out there and you have no choice. It's the it's the being cold coming in the warm, being cold coming in the warm. It really makes it hard to, you know, acclimate to it. But so I, I think if I if I was there, I would get used to it. 
and it wouldn't bother me, but just the thought of it, not not crazy about being in, you know, zero or negative 10 routine. Right. Like I was outside today in a t-shirt and sweatpants and it was, it was like, uh, I don't know, like 18 degrees. And I was, I was just moving back in to my apartment after my winter break. And yeah, it was like 18 degrees and me and my, my roommate were like moving stuff in t-shirts and we're like outside taking garbage out and switching stuff around. It's like, yeah, some people are looking at us weird, but it's like, man, you have no idea. I'm used to like, like last year we went ice fishing uh, I didn't get this cold this year, but last year my dad and I went out and it was the real, the real temperature was negative 30. Plus we had a 30 mile an hour wind, which made the feels like colder than a negative 50. And it was like, man, you go 70 degree temperature change. Yeah. You'll be in a t-shirt. <laughs> well, this isn't, this isn't me here, but we have, I mean, if it's, if it's, uh, you know, during once it's once summer ends and you start getting into the um heck even the 50s here you you i see people around here stressing up you'd think it was 20 below um <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of funny to watch but it's because i'm you know i'm outside all the time year round at some point in time it's i guess it just doesn't affect me like it does some people that just stay indoors all the time yeah no doubt uh, well isaac we've uh Unless you can think of something else, man, I'm out of questions. I think you've you've really done a good job of answering everything that <laughs> that I had in my mind. It it definitely makes a lot more sense to me now. I hope it does to to, to the people listening. Yeah, and I realize it's not like we covered everything. I you know it, it really is just a discussion between us two with this. It's not like it's some in depth how to or or anything. But if anyone has questions, uh, if you if you haven't figured out by now with me being a guest, you know where to find me. It's Limb Driven TV on Facebook. Again, it's normally archery stuff, uh, but why not? Message me with questions about ice fishing. I mean, my roommate is a fisheries fisheries major, and that certainly helps me figure out where fish are, and we can answer whatever questions you need. I'm, it's not that we're professionals. It's just that, hey, we have the experience. You know, We've been doing it since we're kids. And Well, and I will, I will be sure to put a link in the show notes um to both your youtube channel and to your facebook page so i ah, appreciate it so that people can find you yeah and like uh, yeah like i said it's not that it's too in depth but it's something you know if someone wants to get involved i think that uh we we covered enough stuff that people might be able to get out on the ice and try something new no problem all right buddy well i sure do appreciate you joining us um and we'll we'll definitely find a reason to get you back on here again always enjoy talking to you isaac always a pleasure steve thank you very much and to all of our listeners thank you as well if you uh haven't done so please take the time to subscribe to the podcast and we really appreciate ratings and reviews Uh, i do have some uh, giveaways that i'm i'm talking to some people about those will be coming down real soon And the winners will be chosen from individuals who have left us a rating and review on their favorite uh, podcast platform. So until next time, everyone, take care.